theyeshiva.net. So today, Be'ezer Hashem, we begin a new mimer of the Balatanya. It's Torah Eir, Parshas Vayeshev. So by the time Parshas Vayeshev comes around, which is only next week, we'll already have learned and at least mastered a little bit, internalized a little bit of this special mimer. It's the first discourse of the Balatanya, of the Alter Rebbe, on Parshas Vayeshev. It was said apparently in the year Tovkov Samach Gimel, which means at the end of 1802, December 1802. And it opens up with the first verse of the Parsha, the opening Pasuk of Parsha's Vayeshev, which is of course going to be the reading of this Shabbos afternoon Mincha and the entire next week, Monday, Thursday, and Shabbos. So he begins. Today's class is dedicated by Chani and Yisrael Kaplan, in honor of their fifth wedding anniversary, on Yud Aleph Kislev, the 11th of Kislev, Mazel Tov. May you continue to enjoy together many, many long, happy, healthy, prosperous years, overflowing with blessings materially and spiritually, with serenity, tranquility, and habracha v'atzlacha, ad blidai, and thank you for your ongoing friendship and ongoing partnership with our work. We so appreciate and Congratulations. Says the Alter Rebbe, the Posik says, Vayeshev Yaakov Be'eretz Megure Yoviv Be'eretz Knat. And Yaakov dwelled, he settled, he sat, he settled in the land of the residence of his father, which is the land of Knat. After a long journey that took more than two decades, it begins at the end of Taldas where Jacob, Yaakov, leaves his parents' home, fleeing from his brother's wrath, moves into the home of his uncle, Lavan Laban, ends up marrying Leah, and then Rachel, and Bila, and Zilpa, and Bila, and builds a family, 11 children, and lives by Lavan for seven years, and then another seven years, and then another six years, altogether 20 years, and then Yaakov leaves Lavan's house at the end of Ayetze, and he journeys back to the land of Canaan, where he came from, the land where his father lives, where Yitzchak lives. And then through Vayishlach, we chronicle that journey back home, a journey that took approximately two years, in which a new child is born, Binyamin is born, Rachel passes away, in which there are many, many events that happen from the abduction of Dina to Yaakov's dread that people... The nations, are, the nations around are going to attack him. And the stories of Ayishlach, of course, his meeting with Esav, earlier his meeting with Esav, the death of Rachel, the burial of Rachel, the story of Dina, all the way till the end of Vayishlach, where he comes home, and then Vayeshev opens up the scene where he dwells at last in the land of his home, in the, in the land of the residence of his father, in the land of Canaan. To understand this, now he doesn't say to understand what, but it could be what he means is, it already says at the end of Ayishlach that he came back to Eretz Yisrael and to live there. So this seems like redundant. So you could say, as the commentators say, they're just going back to what was said earlier, even though we already know that he dwelled in Eretz Mugurava, but it's not. But still, in Torah, when something is redundant, it's meaningful. It's not just 
for structural sake, at least on a deeper level, also there's a redundancy here. Yaakov dwelled in the land where his father lived in the land of Canaan. We know where his father lived. Yitzhak Avinu lived in Canaan. In fact, when he wanted to leave once before because there was a hunger, Hashem told him, don't leave, Guru, Baritz, as says, you remain in this country. So when it says Yaakov went back to live in the, in the land where his father's residence was, we already know where it is. So the Torah could have just said, Vayeshev Yaakov, Baritz, Megure, Yaviv, or it could have said, Vayeshev Yaakov, Baritz, Canaan, which we all know is the land where his father lived. He makes the Pasuk says, this is in Halal, in Tehillim. We say it in Halal, Esalich Lefnei Hashem, Baritz, I'm going to walk before God in the lands of life. It doesn't say Be'eretz HaChayim. It says Be'artzois HaChayim. Artzois is, of course, plural, not singular. Eretz means the land. Artzois means the lands, the countries. I'm going to walk before Hashem in the lands of life. There are two lands, which represent two types of containers for the manifestation of Chayim Elyonim, of the higher life. Just as Chayim, life, is not in the singular, it's in the plural, even the noun of life, Chayim, is not Chay. You could say, Ish Chay, right? Chayim, life, is plural. So, Aratzois, and there's the famous idea, because we live life with others. Life is the life that we share with others. Life is about connections, relationships. Chayim is plural, always in the plural, not in the singular. Because that's the definition of life. definition of life is that I'm not alone. Life requires attachment. Life requires connection. So when I was a child, once at the Fabreng, in the Lubavitcher Rebbe on Shabbos said this, very interesting, that Chayim is always Lashen Rabbim. Even an individual life. Somebody asks, how is your life? And the answer is, whatever it is, but Chayim life is live together. So Aratzais is also in the plural. So when David HaMelech says, I'm going to walk before God in the lands of life, what he means is that there are two different types of lands, two different types of earths, two different types of habitats of kalim, of containers, where the higher life, the divine life, the deeper life, a meaningful life, can be manifested. Be it any to explain this, tzadach love, and we have to understand, a general question. In the whole Torah, Eretz Yisrael, the land which will come to, which will come to be known as Eretz Yisrael, the land of Yisrael, is called the land of Knat. Just like in this week, this parsh. But also later in the Torah, in the Torah, this is the, the primary name, Eretz Knan, the land of Knan. And the Alter Rebbe says, I don't understand. Why does that become the main title of this land? As the Torah says earlier, the father of Canaan, the progenitor of that tribe called Canaan, was Cham. Cham was one of the three sons of Noyach. But we know that Cham was the one who embarrassed and humiliated Noach, and his father ultimately was so upset with Cham. And as the Torah says back in Noach, Cham is the father of Canaan, who settled in this land that we call Eretz Yisrael. 
So even though it's true that Canaan lived in Eretz Yisrael and settled there, but why is that the Yichus? When you have to give a name for the country, for the land, and especially this land, which would become God's eternal gift to the Jewish people, the country he would bequeath as a timeless inheritance, as an eternal inheritance to his people, you think you would want to choose a name that would display and embody the significance and the beauty and the holiness and the sanctity and the glory of this country. But nonetheless, what's the name that the Torah chooses throughout the Tanakh? The main name is Eretz Canaan. And Canaan was a son of Ham, who, as the Torah indicates and our sages explain, has fallen into the traps of immorality. And also to understand Mashakasav, the, the Pasuk says, this is a verse in Hosea, the prophet Isaiah, it was actually in the Haftarah of Shabbos, Shabbos Vayetze. Kenan here means a merchant, a soicher, somebody who's a businessman, a merchant who in his hands are scales of deceitfulness, of deception. Remember this scale in ancient business, I guess today too, was very significant because you would come and you wanted a barter even before there was money. You wanted to barter a little flour for some vegetables, right? Or you wanted to barter one item for another item, whatever that item was. So the scale was very important. Because, okay, if you're just bartering an item for an item, maybe you don't care how much it weighs. But if you want a certain amount of milk, or a certain amount of flour, or a certain amount of any item or food you're taking, there would be a scale. And the scale had to be honest. <laughs> so the scale had the two sides, and you had stones or other things that you put on the other side, which represented a certain weight. And then you put food on the other side, and you saw how much food this person is getting. So the Torah was always very, very careful that the scale should be perfectly accurate and honest. As the Torah discusses in Parshas Vayetzeh, you should never be deceitful with your scale. So he says, Canaan, Canaan is a merchant. Somebody who's involved in, in, in business. Biyadi in his hand, Moizne Mirma are scales of deception. So we see Knan here has a different interpretation. It means a merchant, in addition to the fact that it was the name of a tribe. Gama also the verse says, There will not be a Knani in the house of Hashem. On that day, here again, what is the meaning of this? And this also represents that Knani has a negative connotation because Knan was the son of Ham, and Knan represents a merchant who can be deceitful. Knani ba'ayadimizma. So it says there won't be a Knani in the house of Hashem. Nonetheless, the whole land is called Eretz Kenan. What's the Yiches? And that's how the Torah introduces here Yaakov coming back to the land. Vayeshev Yaakov Eretz Megurayavav Eretz Kenan. Somebody wants to know about the eastern side of the land of Israel, what we call Transjordan. So that's usually called the land of Gilad, Eretz HaGilad. But the land on the western side of the Jordan River is in the Torah called Eretz Canaan. An example for that would be right here, right? But already earlier, you go to Bereshis, Perik, Zion, you'll see the, the name Canaan. You go to Bamidbar. Sefer Bamidbar, Perik Lamadalad, Numbers 34, Numbers 35, 
you'll see that it's called the land of Canaan. And that's already in Bamidbar, where you're talking about the Jewish people are on their way there. But he calls it Eretz Canaan. So the Alter Rebbe says, why is that? Why is that the name? Especially with the negative connotations of the word Canaan, both in terms of the name of the person and the name of the concept, a deceitful merchant. And in fact, the Novi Scharia says that there will be a day that there won't be a Knani Bebeis Hashem Tzvayis Bayaymahu. That's a verse in Scharia. They will not have to do business. There will be so much abundance. There won't be any poor people. The Malbim says they won't have to do business with the offerings because everybody will want to donate their animals for the Beis HaMikdash. Different interpretations, but the concept is that there won't be a, there won't be a K'nani. Hinei noida. It's known, Shekola Torah Kulin Adrashas Bezelu Entire Torah can be explained and can always be learned Bezelu Umazah. Hidal Terebbe is going to convey one of the fundamental themes behind the teachings of Kabbalah and Chassidus. The whole Torah can be expounded, Zelom Azeh is a verse from Kehales, Ecclesiastes. God made everything in a way that there is the balance and the counterbalance. Everything has an opposing force, a thesis and an antithesis, in order to be able to create synthesis. So the whole Torah can be expounded, Zelom Azeh, on different levels. He explains, K'gmoshesh, love and vase of just as we have Lavan or Esav, the way they are portrayed as negative characters, or later we're going to speak about Paray's butcher, or Paray's butler, who are loyal servants of Paray. And the butler gets a major favor from Yosef, but he forgets it, he forgets to, to show any gratefulness, he forgets to reciprocate. You have all of these people, persons, qualities in holiness. Because everything in the world is Every force in unholiness has a counterforce in holiness. So if you have lovin in the Torah, there's really two lovins. You could say it's a tale of two lovins, a tale of two asops, a tale of two butlers, a tale of two bakers. There's lovin and ace of the way they are displayed. On a literal level, Lavan being Lavan Harami, who was a crook, who was deceitful, Ace of being a Russia, immoral person. The same is true with Paris Butler, Paris Baker, anybody. Whether you're talking about Kayan or Hevel or Paroi, any character in the Torah, there is Zelo Umazah, they can be explained and manifested on two levels of energy, two different types of energy. <laughs> You have the three children of Noyach, Shem, Cham, and Yafes. So besides them being three people who lived at a certain milieu, a certain point in history, and were together with Noyach in the Ark, etc., they also represent three qualities. He says in holiness, they represent the three colors of the rainbow. Chiver, white, 
sumak, red, and yorek, which is yellow, greenish yellow. As the worlds evolve and the divine energy falls and devolves level after level, Cham assumes a physical incarnation and becomes the father of Canaan and doesn't have the best reputation in the Tanakh. In other words, the Altareb is teaching us here something very fundamental. Cham down here doesn't begin as Cham. The Cham that we see right here, it doesn't begin as Cham, the physical Cham. Cham, like everything else, originates in a higher transcendent divine energy that then evolves and manifests itself. In various incarnations, it assumes various containers. And in each world, it assumes the identity that is connected to a different state of consciousness and then it devolves lower and lower and lower until it assumes the Cham here. So when you look at Cham, you could see two things. You could see the way Cham is here. You could look at the source of Cham. So in order, after this introduction, we understand that when you speak about Canaan, who is the son of Cham, it's the same thing. You have Canaan, you have Canaan the way it's seen as something that can have a negative connotation. But the Canaan comes from a higher source in holiness. So when it says Eretz Canaan, you have to understand the real Canaan, the source of Canaan. What is Canaan in holiness? In Canaan, Pirushe Soiche. The word Canaan, as I mentioned, has the meaning of a merchant. As the Pasuk says, It's a Pasuk in Yeshaya Perik of Gimel, Isaiah chapter 23. Her merchants, her businessmen, her business people are the respected ones of the country. So Kananah is not the name of an individual person or tribe or family. It's a seicher. In, in, in Hebrew, we call it a seicher. Seicher comes from the word which means somebody who's involved in business. A merchant is called a seicher. Another pasuk which we learned earlier, again from Hesheya, Isaiah. The first is Yeshaya Hanavi. Now is Hesheya, chapter 12. The merchant in his hands may be deceitful scales. So if you want to understand what Kanan means in holiness... You have to get to the root of the word. Knan means somebody who's involved in business transactions. This is their occupation. Asoich. Now you have Knan the way it's manifested, maybe in a deceitful way. But the concept of Knan is a sacred concept. And he's going to explain. What does it mean? I know all that. It actually represents all of life. He says, let's understand it for physical illustration. What is a Asoich? What is a businessman? What's a merchant? Al-Tareb is now talking, remember, this is a Maimer from 1802. So, you know, today business obviously has developed to many very different uh, venues. And over, over millennia of, of human history, you know, the concept of schoyre has developed and evolved to so many different ways. You know, in the beginning, everything was just barter. And then uh, it develops. But what's the concept, the key concept of a schoyre is the key principle is that the Seicher squanders money. Money that can get lost. Silver, gold, he's using here because even before there were currencies, you know, dollars that we use or shkalim that we use, 
kesef, whether it's silver or gold or material, the soicher squanders them. He takes them out of his property. He gives them away. But why? Not because he's foolish. Today we would say you're investing money in a stock. You're investing money in a business. You're investing money in a property. You're investing money in a, in a new venture, in an organization, in a website, in a company, in a corporation, whatever it is. And he's spending the money. And yifazer, yifazer means, not just giving a few pennies. Yifazer means he scatters it, he squanders it. So he's losing it. But there's a purpose here. He wants to generate much more revenue than he had initially. That's the point. And the entire objective of the Seicher is, Leis, he's going to quote a verse from Mishle, Proverbs 11, Leis, Mephazer, Venoisef, Ait. He's going to be Mephazer. Mephazer means squander. But in order that the money, that the, the squandering should generate much more revenue, Noisef, Ait, there should be, he should have an increase in money. That's what a Seicher is. That's the key definition. And there's a risk. And we know the higher the risk, the higher the gain, right? Because there's the risk that the, invest in, the investment will prove futile. It'll be counterproductive. What he thought is going to make a mint will not make a mint. Maybe he'll make much less. Maybe he'll make nothing and he'll get back the investment. Or sometimes you lose the investment. And that's what a seicher does. A more risk, a risque seicher. Yeah, a more breitah somebody has maybe more money to play around with, can invest in bigger things. Sometimes people really put their eggs in one basket. Hopefully it makes it, sometimes it doesn't. That's the concept of a seich. I'm going to say one thing here, very interesting. I saw it last night. There's a maimer on one of the famous Talmidim of the Balatanya, the Mittler Rebbe, the Tzemach Sadek, was Rebbe Hillel Paritcher. <coughs> Reb Hillel of Parich. We once learned a very long maime from Reb Hillel, <coughs> and it was transcribed and it was now published in Eretz Yisrael, in Hebrew, in a book, Soid Hagolos Vahagula, The Secret of Exile and Redemption. This was a maime from Reb Hillel that we learned a few years ago in the summer, and now was published in Israel. So a nice book it came out a few hundred pages. Somebody edited my classes. And uh, they gave it out, Said Hagalaz Vagula, the secret of, of exile and redemption. So, Reb Hillel, he wrote Chsidis, so he writes down this Maimir of the Alter Rebbe with explanations. But he has a line, I read it and <laughs> it caught me. He says, Whenever a merchant scatters money, why? Either to invest in something. Or the classic example was he would buy merchandise, right? You went to Leipzig, to the Yerid, right, to the marketplace, wherever you went. You went to the market and you bought merchandise and for that you had to spend money. But you hoped you brought the merchandise back to your home, back to your city, or you distributed the merchandise. You bought it, you know, in the... In the, in the in the cheap, in the in the price, the wholesale price, where you received it from the vendor, and now you have a lot of merchandise. You now bring it back to your city, or you distribute it to other places, and you sell them. Obviously, for a greater amount of money than 
you paid for them, and you make your money. So there's always an element, however you look at it, business is always, I have to lose money temporarily. I want to buy the merchandise. I can't just buy the merchandise without money. I need the money. I'm losing the money temporarily. I'm giving it to somebody else. I'm giving it to other sellers. But, but, the plan is that the money is not going to get lost forever. The money is simply in a limbo state, but I will now gain much more profit than what I lost. And therefore, now I have more money, and the next time around, I can be even more ambitious and more expensive. Yeah, this is the key principle. I'm emphasizing this, even though this doesn't seem complicated. First of all, how this developed was pretty complicated, how economics developed. But the point is, we'll see for the Alter Rebbe, this is the Knan in its source, before it can get corrupted. Now you can have business people who are dishonest. You can have business people whose scales are deceitful. But the concept of Knan is... The awareness that I have to squander and money, which can get lost, in order to be able to acquire much greater revenue. And if I don't do that, I'll stick with my money. But I don't want. I won't have anything else. I won't be able to to increase it. The 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 the, the, the pillow adds here. He says like this: that whenever the seicher squanders money, there's always the doubt that it's not going to come back to. There's always a risk. And that's the reason that the revenue is so much greater. If there's no risk, the revenue will be exactly what you had. Then there's no risk. You stick with your money or you, you, know, you put in a little bit into something that there's no risk. The greater the risk, the greater the potential for the revenue. So we explain why is the reason for that. The reason for that is because it's a big venture and you hope you're going to sell all these things, Right? You'll export, you transport, whatever it is you put into real estate, it's going to take a few years, you need people to buy. But if it works, it works. And it can work great. It can also not work. It's just that there's a deeper reason. The deeper reason is, I have to read this to you. When you squander the money, the yesh, is getting close to the ayin. And whenever you get close to the ayin, that's when you can touch infinity. When the seed decomposes in the earth, that's when it can morph into a tree. As long as it remains in its own identity, it's also stagnant. The seed on the windowsill or on your counter is beautiful, but it's not going to grow into an apple tree or an orange tree or any other beautiful splendid tree put it in the ground, it decomposes, it's lost, becomes part of the earth, and now it can develop into roots that grow into a tree. So he says the money also, when it gets close to the ayin, and the greater the ayin is, the greater the nothingness is, the doubt, the question, that's when it can emerge into a whole new identity. He says that's the secret of business. Those who sow with tears, why are there tears? Their tear is because I'm afraid that my money is going to get lost. My original seeds, what they call seed money, right? Seed money is going to be squandered. That fear allows the Berina Yiktsayru, the harvesting with so much joy because of the tremendous growth so much greater than the seed that you invested, that you planted into the earth. Very, very profound idea. 
Now we get to the metaphor. What does this represent? We're trying to explain Knan and holiness, right? The source of the soul of every person, every Jew. This is called Knesset Yisrael. Knesset Yisrael means the gathering, the gathering of Yisrael. What it represents spiritually is the source of all Neshama Yisrael. If we get all of our souls together and we go back to the source of Neshama Yisrael, the source of our consciousness, that's called Knesset Yisrael. We Yisrael are gathered into a cohesive, transcendent, divine entity. In exile, these souls are compared to this merchant. As Yaakov is told by his father Yitzchak, as Esav is told, as Yitzchak tells his son Esav, and told us, Your brother came deceitfully, and he took your blessing. He uses the word mirma. You remember we already had the word mirma? The word mirma in Isaiah, Hesheia. The merchant has scales of deceitfulness. But now we're going into a deeper level. Esav is told that your brother came bemirma with deceitfulness and he took your blessing. What does this mean? The Pasuk says, This is a verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. You'll notice here that in a few lines in Torah and Amayimah, the Altarebbe quotes many, many verses from the whole Tanakh many statements of the sages, and he doesn't even give the references, because when he said the Maimer, he was assuming that everybody, or at least most, many were well-versed in all of these sources. But it's important to notice that every line almost is another source, another reference, and together you start getting the picture of what he's trying to say. So there's a very intense flow of consciousness here and information. So the Pasuk says in Kayalis and Ecclesiastes, the time that Adam ruled over Adam for his, to his own detriment. Sometimes you rule over somebody else, but you're not controlling, you're being controlled. Very powerful idea. The master is sometimes the slave. He who deprives freedom from others ultimately deprives themselves from freedom. So, there's a time that Adam rules over Adam. Shalat means rules, dominates. To his own detriment, to his own rat, to his own depreciation. What does this mean? So, spiritually, it means as follows. The Shechina goes into Golos. The Shechina allows itself, so to speak, to be dominated, to be controlled, to be manipulated. The Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, goes into exile to give life to those forces that are unholy. So the Shekhinah is going into exile and it's serving the enemy, so to speak. So it seems like the Shekhinah is being used, being manipulated. But That allows for all of the holy sparks to be extricated from unholiness. As our sages say in Talmud Psachim, Gemara Psachim, page 87, the Jewish people went into exile for one purpose, to bring back converts. What does this mean? How many converts were brought over the generations? We have here, I know, in the class, a few aspiring converts. But over the generations, how many Geirim were there? The whole purpose of exile was to bring back converts. So it means converts, but it also represents an idea to bring back sparks of holiness 
that have been stuck or trapped and lay dormant in the various locations, physical and conceptual, wherever a Jew goes into exile. To reach the point where, as the Navi says in Yeshaya, Yeshaya chapter 25, death will be swallowed up forever. And as the prophet Shaya chapter 13 says, there will come a time when the spirit of impurity I will eliminate from the earth. And another prophet, Yeshaya Hanavi says, Hashem. The glory of Hashem is going to be revealed. Because that's when people are going to be able to see eye to eye. They're going to perceive the presence of Hashem in every aspect of life. So this is the concept that the Shechina allows itself to be dominated by unholiness because it has a mission to do. This is a very powerful concept, the antithesis of victimhood. I sometimes end up in a place where it seems like <coughs> I'm being taken advantage of. I'm in exile. I'm being manipulated. My, my energy is working and helping something or somebody that's antithetical to my real identity. But there's a purpose in it. The purpose in it is ultimately liraloi. They're dominating you to their own detriment because you are extracting everything you have to extract from that place. You're learning everything you have to learn from that place. There are sparks, there are opportunities for tremendous growth that you will find in those places that you need to learn, you need to acquire. So from becoming a victim, you become a master. And ultimately, the ruling of one Adam over another Adam, of the klipa, the unholiness over the holiness, is liralist to their own detriment because all the sparks come out. And that's what allows the shells and the husks of the world to dissipate to the point where Hashem will become fully present in the world, which is what the geula means. But for the geula to happen, the shells and the husks have to be able to be pierced but they are being fed by the sparks of holiness, and you come and you extract all those sparks, and then the hollowness of the unholiness is exposed, and that's Gula. So the Shechina goes into exile, it feeds the Klippe, but ultimately, in order to extract everything that's there. What does this mean in a person's life? He's going to now explain it in a person's life, but in, in, he's going to explain it individually in every soul. But in every person's life, it means that I go into situations, like the example in this parish of Ayeshev, where Yosef goes into exile. But what happens in exile? In exile, he actually becomes the prime minister of Egypt. And he extracts, and the Jewish people in subsequent generations will extract all the sparks that are there in Egypt. So if I'm in a place, I end up in a place. Because there is, there is a lot of opportunity there that I could acquire and I need to acquire. And now he continues, Just as it's true in the world, It's also true individually with every single soul in their own service of God. Somebody asks, our dear student from Texas, the planting and breaking down of the seed seems to be a metaphor for true courage, for true faith, walking into the unknown, walking into a state of nothingness, without knowing if you will be successful in achieving intended results. Yeah, that's exactly the point. And Abhilal adds that that's the reason why you can gain so much from it. It's the very risk-taking. It's the very doubt. 
It's the very courage that's required that allows there to be so much benefit. Because it's so easy to say, I don't want to go into such a place. Why should I plant my seed and bury it? What if it disappears on me? Of course, we know how planting works. But that's the concept. The, 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 the Chazal have an expression. You have a muna, you have faith in the life of the world, in Hashem, and you plant. Planting is that concept of faith. It's a fascinating idea. The Gemara says that Seder Zerayim, the first section of, of Mishnah, agriculture is connected with Hamuna, with faith. Because for us, planting, you just plant. Hopefully it's going to grow. I mean, if you have the right climate and if you have the rain, obviously you need rain and you need the soil, you need the right climate, etc. But there's a deeper element. And the deeper element is that the concept of planting is going into a place of unknown, walking into a place of iron, of nothingness, and not knowing if I'm going to be successful. It's opening myself up to failure. It's going out of my yesh and going into a place of nothingness. But in the place of nothingness, that's the incubator for everything. Everything comes from that place. So when I go into that place, I go back to the source. And in the source, you can recreate everything in a much more powerful way. So the concept of business here is where I actually squander. I'm going to lose, I may lose my money. It goes into a place of ayin, of nothingness. But from there can come a blessing that is so much more powerful. There is an element of fear. Somebody's asked, there's an element of fear here. Yeah, whenever you go into a connection, into a, whenever you invest, it's even in relationships, whenever you go into a conversation, whenever a conversation takes you into the place of the unknown, it's scary. Right? We have conversations that are very predictable. You know, when I stay in my comfort zone, you say this, I say this, you say this, I say this. Hi, how are you? Fine. What's going on? Everything is fine. What else is going on? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> the conversations that take you into the unknown are the conversations where things happen. That's called a business, real business. So, the Shekhinah goes into Gullus. That's a form of loss. You're being manipulated. The Shekhinah is being manipulated. It's giving, ho- it's giving life to unholiness. But it's the only way I can extract everything that's there. They go into exile, and every place in exile, they acquire something, and they take out the netzutzes that are there. Wherever I end up in life, there's something for me to grow from. So you think you were destroying me, you were burying me. Really, you were planting me. As the famous expression, they tried to bury me. They didn't realize that I'm a seed. And when you bury a seed, trees come up. So the clipper wants to bury the holiness. What happens at the end? <laughs> at the end, holiness springs up. It grows in a way that was far greater and more, far greater than the growth that existed before. From the barren, you use those very uh, opportunities, those very circumstances, those very energies to turn you into an extraordinary tree. But now he goes to the next step. This is true in the world, generally, in history in the world. It's true with every single soul individual. Every soul before it came down into this world to manifest itself in the body. 
and in the biological soul, and in the animal soul. Every single soul was bound up and completely connected in its source. And what's the source? The source is Ma'atzila, the one who emanated the soul from itself, which means the infinite light which the soul is a derivative of that infinity, so the soul was completely bound up and one with infinity. With a glowing fire of love. Organically, innately, like a flame that rises on its own. I, I light the wick, but then at some point the wick catches on fire and is just burning. This is who it is. This is what it is. And in that state, the soul experienced tremendous amount and a tremendous revelation of both love and awe which was innate and organic and this is what silver and gold represent Kesef, the word Kesef, silver is it comes from the two words in Parshish Vayetze Lovan tells Yaakov when he escaped you craved, you yearned to go back to the home of your father why did you steal my God? You want to go back home? Why are you stealing my God? We'll soon see what that means in the holy loving. There's, remember, there's the unholy loving, there's the holy loving. So here we see that Kesef comes to the word We say it in the Yedid Nefesh, right? You remember that song Friday evening before Mincha that many people say Yedid Nefesh or some say Bashalashudas. So we have Vasik Yehmurachamacha. Have compassion for your child. Kizekama Nichsoif Nichsafti Lebesavicha. I have a yearning, a craving, a desire. So the word Kesef represents a aspiration, pining. In Tehillim we say, Nichsifa vegam kol sonavshi lechatzris beis Hashem. Libi uvsari yerananu el kelchai. Chapter 42. Pchinis ava, kesef is love. Vizahov, gold, gold, which is the color of gold, which is similar to the color of fire. So the Pasuk says in Eoiv, Eoiv 37, Job, Vizahov mitzafoin yasa. The gold they brought from the north, representing Shobchina's smile, which is the left, because when you have Mizrach, the east, where the sun comes up from, so the right of east is called Dorim, south, and the left is called Tzofen, which is north. Eev associates the gold with north. Shobchina's yira, it's the color of fire which represents or reverence, a certain intensity that gold has that silver doesn't have. Also price. So the point is that the soul was filled with silver and gold. The soul was filled with love and awe prior to its descent into a physical manifestation and being tucked in and becoming completely one with a new state of consciousness, with the reptilian brain, with the mammalian brain, with the brain of the mammal, the amygdala, the limbic brain representing the animal consciousness of a person. They call it the reptile's brain, the reptile's brain, or the brain of the mammal. The divine soul now becomes completely integrated with the state of consciousness of 
humanity and the zoo, all the zoo, all the species within the world of zoology. But prior to that descent, the soul was completely one with its source because it's a derivative of infinity. And the silver and the gold were flowing organically and innately in such an intense way, the love and the awe. As the soul makes its descent into a physical corporal reality, we call it the body. Even the original love and awe that the soul possessed in such an abundance, in such abundance, are now eclipsed within one's physical blood, physical heart, and one cannot see their own love and awe in a revealed way as they did prior to that. Listen to his words. So what happened? The love and the awe apparently were lost. You remember the metaphor? The money was squandered. The silver and the gold were squandered. They're lost. They went to somebody else. I'm a soicher, I'm a merchant. I gave you my silver. I gave you my gold. I invested it in the building. I invested it in the merchandise. I'm buying whatever the, the exact form of your business ventures are. The love and the awe are gone. Nigru, they're diminished, they're squandered. The soul lost them. At least on a conscious level, not unconscious, on a conscious level. You went into an unknown zone where the personality, the intensity, the divinity of the soul becomes eclipsed by so many other stuff. Never mind, never mind. This is even in the most benign, you know, perfect life and perfect youth. Never mind with the struggles that every person goes through in their development and their consciousness and the development of their brain. That pure flowing love and love and awe, love and reverence, Ava and Yira, the gold and the silver are often gone or at least compromised or at least concealed. Which brings us to the question... And here you could say the million dollar question, pun intended. Why did the soul come down into this world? If it's such a drastic descent and such a giroyan. Giroyan means a minus, a diminishment. You know, when somebody says, how is your balance doing? And the answer is the, ba- the balance is on zero. Not only zero, I have debt. Much worse than it was originally. Giroyan Gadol, you have such a loss from the way it was in the beginning. Why would this happen? Why would the soul do this? Why would the soul go on this descent? Ah, the answer is one word, Kanan. Life is about understanding the art and the risks and the life of the merchant. Life is a business. What do we mean by a business? The Pasuk says in Tehillim chapter 119, The toad of your mouth is better for me than thousands and thousands of pounds of gold and silver. So how do we all learn this Pasuk? We even have a song, right? 
The Torah of your mouth is more precious than all the money in the world. Thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds of silver and gold don't compare to Torah. We all know the story in Perkeyavis, Rabbi Yisib ben Kisma was offered lots and lots of money in order to leave a place of Torah and settle in a new place, and he refused because the post success, But the Alter Rebbe, every Pasuk that goes through the Alter Rebbe's hands, morph into gold and silver, pun intended. <clears throat> he says, let's understand what this really means. Alfei Loshen Limud. In Hebrew, Alfei doesn't only mean thousands. Alfei means training, learning. For example, you'll say in, even in modern Hebrew, Aluf Kaduregel, Aluf Shachmat, a champion of chess a champion of a particular sport is called aluf. A general is called aluf. Somebody who trains others, somebody who has under, platoons under him or her who are being trained. In Eir we have alefcha chachma, alefcha bina, I'll train you in wisdom, I'll, tra- I'll train you in teaching. Aluf means to learn, to train. Not just learn once. It becomes habitual learning, something that you become completely involved in. Because we know that it takes, you know, to, to perfect a skill and to master it, you need, today they say, 10,000 hours of training. Whether it's the piano or the violin or the cello or the guitar or other forms of training. Listen to what Alter Rebbe says. Alfei Lashen Limud. Alfei means to learn, to train. Kiloimar. The trade of your mouth in this world is greater than the gold and the silver that my soul was so accustomed to when it existed in the higher world prior to my birth into this world. The Torah of your mouth that I'm experiencing in this world, such a powerful investment, where the gold and the silver have been squandered. Remember, the soul was completely submerged in oneness, infinite oneness. And therefore, organically, it had so much gold and silver, which represents love and awe. But then it gets squandered, apparently, when it comes into this world like the merchant who squanders the money in the investment. So why did the soul do this? Why did this happen? Now the answer is, What's alfei? Alfei is the mastery of gold and silver. The love and the awe that the soul has mastered, that the soul has learned, that the soul has trained with and trained in for eternity. Alfei zavachasef. The soul was a, an aluf, a general, an expert, a champion in gold and silver. It was filled with overflowing love and awe. And the merchant took all that money and threw it away by the soul coming into a world that is so much more complicated. Toivli Sayraspicha, the Torah here is greater than the Alphas of Chesef, and the mastery of the gold and the silver in the higher world prior to birth. Why is this? The ethics of the fathers. One hour of repentance and good deeds in this world is greater than the whole life of Elam Haba. Because it's only in this world where the soul experiences what's called the higher level of return. 
from the depth of the heart, it creates a far deeper dvekus, a far deeper oneness and intimacy of the soul in the living God, far more wondrous with the with the full desire of the heart, as will be explained. So in summation, so here is what happens. Even though the money gets lost in the business transaction, in the investment, the soul comes into this world. And that natural expression of love and awe to God is compromised or lost he says, that's true. In the conscious, external heart, the love and the awe are diminished. But something else happens. The Reusa Deliba, in the Nekudas Pnemiyas Halev, in the deepest, deepest core of the heart, there's a whole new Reusa Deliba only in this world that it never has in Elam Haba. It can't have before it was born. Before it was born, it's burning with love and awe, but he calls it Avaviyir that are natural, but they are bechitzonius halev hagluyim. They're in the revealed external part of the heart. It's a conscious love and awe that is very revealed and beautiful and manifested. That gets lost with birth. Not so much with birth, with the development of the soul living in a body and living in the traumas of our world. But what happens is, in that process, something is born. This is the revenue that comes from the investment. He calls it ruusa deliba. Rusa de Liba means the Ratzin Halev, the desire of the heart from the Kudas Pnimius Halev. The deepest, deepest, deepest heart comes out only here. A whole deeper Dvekas. As the conscious love is lost, as the conscious awe is lost, the core wakes up. Because the greatest light is the light that's born from the darkness, from the void from the absence, from the vulnerability, from the sense of loss, from the sense of darkness. The light that is born from that is a light that you can never ever find when there's no vulnerability, when there's no disintegration, never. So the soul up there is Alfizava Chesef. She's a champion of silver. She's a champion of love. She's a champion of gold, a champion of awe. He says, that is it's in the external heart. It's here where everything gets lost. The silver and gold gets lost. The businessman made an investment and he apparently loses his money, went into a place of nothingness. What do we have? And suddenly this Torah Spicha, the authenticity of the experience that comes from the deepest, deepest part of the heart that only gets opened up, that only gets revealed, that only gets exposed here in a place of absence, in a place of darkness. And that's the ultimate purpose why we go through so many vicissitudes in our lives with ups and downs and upheavals. And it could be very, very demoralizing Nobody really has the ultimate answers for every person's journey and the reason they go through everything. But ultimately, every moment of chayshach, every moment of darkness, and every encounter I have with my own darkness and the darkness outside of me, 
is really an opportunity to find my primius halev. You have to go to a much deeper place in your heart. Chavre, hear what Alter Rebbe is saying. Every time you encounter darkness, it's an invitation to go into a much deeper place in your heart. Because if you stay at the external periphery levels, you're not going to be able to deal with it. You're going to break. So it's an opportunity to open yourself up deeper and deeper and deeper. Now you're going to say, I already opened myself up. How much do you want me to open up? <laughs> How deep can we go? Oh, yeah, yeah. The depth is infinite, but the darkness can't be infinite. What's the difference between conscious planting and unconscious planting? I don't know. You have to explain the question a little better. Wow, thank you. I needed to hear that today. Which day don't we need to hear this? This is oxygen. Everything comes from nothingness. Hashem began the creation in the first place from nothingness, not from the tangible. The more tangible, the more tangible the reality, the less creativity. The less tangible the reality, the more creativity. Yes, Miss Balach, thank you, that's beautiful. The less tangible, the more creativity, yes. Oh, yes, this is what we spoke about in the last woman's class last week about Leah and Rachel. The Alter Rebbe's Maimer from Tovkofay and Bays, 18, 1811, and the Smitler Rebbe's Maimer on Parshas Vayetze, last week's class. We titled it, You Resent What You Don't Understand, or You Hate What You Don't Understand. <laughs> that what I plan for consciously is always going to be limited by my tools, by my expectations, by my understanding of life. It's when I'm, I don't know, I don't like the word so much, but when I'm lured into, when I'm, when I'm overwhelmed by something I couldn't expect, that's where real growth happens. And planting as well. Sometimes there's me planting, so it's still limited to my expectations. And then there's unconscious planting, which is always much, much deeper. Next question. Reb Melech Tzvibel, the mashpia of the yeshiva in Moristan, of blessed memory, shared that the question of why the soul descends into this world from great heights and the answer that the elevation is greater here than prior to the descent, don't we know this from earlier in Maimarim? Didn't Alter Rebbe say this so many times? Why repeat the same question and so many times? He would tell us that some questions need to be constantly asked. Are you explaining, beautiful, thank you, Reb Mendel, are you explaining that from the sense of darkness comes the birth of a new soul and a new light? Yes. At birth we have nothingness, yet we grow up to be so impacting and to transform not just ourselves, but others in a profound way. You have taught me today something really, really special. I needed this today so, so badly. Well, thank you very much, and it's always a pleasure to have you, especially from that part of the world. You know, you're really giving us the sparks from very, very far places. We didn't think that this class is going to get sparks from Pakistan. So thank you for being here. Should I take more questions? Let me see what is going on on the website. We have Zoom, we have the website, the Yeshiva.net, and we have YouTube. 
This concept doesn't only apply to business. It's about taking risks, getting out of your comfort zone. It always lives to greater living, to more growth. It's true about exercise. It's true about nutrition. It's true about education. It's true about relationships. Absolutely. The business is just a metaphor. Metaphor. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Somebody says there's something really nice. All good, very good comments. So the way I understand this is we all start off with a speck from Tati and another one from Mami, the sperm and the egg. Hashem invests and plants a soul, like a businessman. We add to this three-part mass by consuming food. The profit or loss comes when we, the physical mass enlarged to 200 pounds, plus or minus, carrying that soul, engages in Torah, Tfila Masim Toivim, and the opposite. That's when the profit comes, or the other way around, the loss. Was it a good investment that generated a profit or not depends on each of us, the raw material that received the investment. Yes, beautifully said. The Meha Shiloyach, Rabbi Leiner, Sefer Bereshis, told us, Likuti Meha Shiloyach, Yitzchak planted in that particular land and he found a hundred measures of the original seeds that he planted. God blessed him. So the Me'ah said that Yitzchak is compared to planting because anyone who doesn't understand what planting is, when you plant the seed, it looks like it's lost, it's squandered, it's gone. It was buried. But the one who planted the seed, he knows very well and believes that there's going to be tremendous growth. Yitzchak represents Gvura. Gvura in our world represents complete tzimtzum, complete concealment, condensement of the energy. So you think everything is lost. But really, from that condensement, everything grows. And that was the ability of Yitzchak. Yitzchak, it seems like he limits everything. He condenses everything. He's basically limiting the energy. He's planting the seed. It's disappearing. You're losing it. But really, that's where ultimate growth comes from. That's very, very deep. That's what all discipline is really about, right? Boundaries that create creativity. Um, uh, if you tie down the chords of the violin, the music will play. Everybody have a beautiful day. Tomorrow, Tuesday, we have a 12.45 p.m. women's class in person, 24 Shea Road in Muncie for those who are in our region. It will also be streamed live on theyeshiva.net or on YouTube, our YouTube channel. That's Tuesday. That's Tuesday, 1245. Thursday morning, 730, we will have this class. Next week, Wednesday night, we're going to have a very large, grand Yutes Kislev Fabrengen. Next Wednesday, November 24th, myself, Rabbi Chase Taub, music by Ellie Marcus, 24 Shea Road in Muncie, streamed live on our YouTube channel and the yeshiva.net. That's not this Wednesday, next Wednesday, November 24th, Chav Kislev celebrating the yard site of the Magid and the Chagagula of the Palatanya, the Alter Rebbe. If you understand Hebrew, yesterday we did a class about the inner world of the Mittele Rebbe, the son of the Alter Rebbe, whose yard site was on Shabbos, his birthday was on Shabbos as well, Tes Kislev, his Chagagula, he was liberated from Tsarist imprisonment yesterday, the 10th of Kislev, so I did in Hebrew for an audience in Israel an exposition of some major ideas of his life and teachings. This was uh, 
yesterday. You have it on the yeshiva.net or, or on our Hebrew YouTube channel. Um, I think for those who are uh, interested in understanding these things, it would be very, very meaningful. We also learned a whole letter from the Mittler Rebbe where he laments people who have taken the teachings of his father and distorted them as to believe that Chabad is not into emotions. <laughs> there was a group of Hasidim that said that Chabad is only intellect, not emotions. And he really takes that on with very, very intense uh, emotion. And we learned that letter at the class as well. It's a letter from a few months after his father passed away, 1813, 1814. Anyway, I'm just saying that. If anybody's interested, you may find it very, very powerfully transformative. It's in Hebrew, though. I wish you all a beautiful day and a wonderful day. Hatzlach Rabba. And uh, it's also on the Facebook page, yeah. Thank you. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.